athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I pull up, stuff in the kitchen, let's go. Brand new Lamborghini, a cop car. You're locked in to the dopest show on radio from the press box to press row. I am your host, Donald Ware. Got a great show lined up for you today. And I'll tell you what, you know, last week, a couple of things I didn't get a chance to speak about. We were off the air before the announcement that John Lewis and C.T. Vivian both had passed away. Representative John Lewis and C.T. Vivian passing away. Huge. Absolutely huge. I know a lot of the talk was about Representative Lewis and probably rightfully so. But I tell you what, C.T. Vivian, civil rights, uh, civil rights movement as well. You talk about John Lewis at one time, the the uh, president of the of SNCC. SNCC founded on the campus of Shaw University, the oldest HBCU in the South, right here in Raleigh. And so just, you know, I, I tell you what, I, and, you know, he, he, he uh, announced that he had pancreatic cancer was that i think it was the latter part of december and i tell you what i i saw that and i mean what a remarkable career a remarkable man held what it it, it was in, in the congressional seat out of atlanta uh in, or in georgia um was it the 35th uh congressional seat whatever it was i mean he held that since 1986 a huge Voice. I mean, you have, you know, it's one thing like he's been in the wars. If you and it was a piece that was on PBS more recently. I was watching the other day where I mean, anything that was a a moment or a big moment in the civil rights movement, John Lewis was a part of. You look at not only Selma, we know a lot in, in about him with respect to Selma. Uh, in 1965, but if you look at the March on Washington in 1963, he was the initial speaker. When you look at uh, also uh, the the, uh, the it was a famous photo taken with uh, with John F. Kennedy, President Kennedy, back in maybe it was in 1963. He was part of that photo, of course, along with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and others. But I mean. This man was instrumental, monumental, absolutely huge as it relates to the civil rights movement and uh, has been fighting ever since. So, wow, what a huge loss. C.T. Vivian, big time civil rights uh, leader as well. A lot of the other, a lot of the leaders were older leaders. C.T. Vivian, 
they weren't old, but were older leaders when John Lewis came along. John Lewis was a younger guy, a, a graduate of Fisk University. Shots out to WFSK, our carrier there in Nashville. And of course, American Baptist College as well, which is also in Nashville. But two huge icons lost. Again, a big show for you today. I'm going to set the table in terms of our guests here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Uh, scheduled in the next segment to be joined by Carolina Hurricanes head coach Rod Brindamore going to join us on the program. The Hurricanes going to have an exhibition preseason, whatever you want to call it, game next week against the Capitals to get the Hurricanes set for their series with the New York Rangers. And so, uh, the NHL getting ready to be back. And we're going to talk about that again. Rod Brindamore is the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes going to join us on the program. Also scheduled to join us today here on from the press box to press row is one of the biggest and one of the biggest stars in all of UCF. Daniel Cormier, Daniel Cormier also going to join us. On the program, listen, he's got a big fight coming up on August the 14th, and he's one of the biggest stars in all of UCF. Very much looking forward to talking with Daniel Cormier here on the program. You know, the other thing I want to get to, as a matter of fact, a couple of other things I want to get to, um, the National Football League and, and camps are set to open up and Just the arrogance to me of the National Football League not even having measures in place to protect players. You look at the NBA, you look at the NHL, both are in bubble type of scenarios. And then here comes the National Football League, business as usual. I talked about this maybe when it was first announced that the NFL wasn't going to change any of its schedule in terms of not only – the releasing of the schedules, uh, the impending draft, which went well. I mean, I give the NFL credit, the draft uh, from a uh, from the perspective in which the National Football League had to conduct the draft uh, went well. But again, it, you know, to me, you're mo- it, it, the league is moving on as if we're not in a pandemic, as if the however many billions of dollars that the league is worth doesn't, the pandemic doesn't affect the league. And that's how the league is operating to the point that we're just coming to sort of a consensus on protocols in terms of safety measures, et cetera. And and again, as I mentioned last week, I mean, and we're seeing a lot of colleges uh, dropping uh, football for the fall, and, and uh, uh, the SWAC has to get kudos because the SWAC came out earlier this week. And I'm going to get back to my point, but the SWAC came out earlier um, uh, and said that it was moving football to the spring. So it didn't say we're postponing football. It said we're moving football where we're postponing it until the spring. They've given a timeline and put in place what 
they're looking to do the SWAC. So kudos to the SWAC. We're seeing more college. I mean, again, I don't think we're going to play college football this season. I mean, if I had to give a guess right now in terms of the National Football League, if the National Football League is going to be played, I mean, I have the National Football League as a higher percentage in terms of being played than I had at college football. I mean, if I had to say maybe I would give 20% uh, possibility that the National Football League is going to play. I mean, you got so many variables, and part of that 20% that I'm giving the National Football League in terms of playing is because the league is just going to play. You know, it seems to be no concerns, at least until now, once the players raised the issue, should have been protocols in place and how to keep players as safe as possible in place long before This week, this is something that should have been talked about months ago, quite frankly, and at the latest, maybe a month ago, to have certain protocols in place. Now, I understand the virus is ever-evolving. We're continuing to learn more about the, uh, the virus, but the basic principles should have been in place long ago, and then as the virus uh, dictates what you do, then you sort of amend whatever you have in place. But the again, to me, the National Football League, it speaks to arrogance uh, from the very beginning. Remember, the National Football League told you, okay, back in March, we're not changing. Everything we say we're going to do at the time we're going to do it is when we're going to do it. The National Football League told you all that. And a lot of people didn't believe them because here we are, a week, you know, a week, two weeks before camp starts, or, or at the time, and now we're just getting the safety protocols in place. But again, I think with the numbers rising uh, in certain states, I mean, look at the Cowboys; they're in Texas. Uh, you know, look at look at the the the, the uh, Jaguars in Jacksonville and the Dolphins uh, there in Miami, and also if you look at the Buccaneers. In Tampa Bay, I mean, the numbers in Texas, uh, in Florida, uh, you look in Arizona with the Cardinals. I mean, the numbers are rising. If you're not in a bubble-like environment and your players are just going out every day into the world, how are you going to protect them or prevent the coronavirus from coming into the office building, into players, you know, staff members, medical people, etc. I just don't see, I don't, you know, again, I give the, the league because the league's going to figure out a way. They're going to play anyway, even if it's at the risk. And, and again, the players have to take responsibility. They want to play. I get it. You take risks. I mean, I when I go out every day, even though I wear a mask, I mean, I take a risk. I get that. But the league is going to want to play its games. It's already told you that. And so, again, to me, it speaks of the arrogance of the National Football League to not have protocols for the players in place until more recently. This is something that should have happened a long time ago. So we can talk a little bit more about that. Also, I want to talk about the Redskins and the Redskins situation, something I didn't talk about last week. The Washington Post had a big-time article about sexual harassment, 15 women came forward um, or, or, well, they didn't come forward. One woman came forward and really talked in detail about 
her sexual harassment experiences with the Redskins. There were 14 other women who did not come forward because they uh, signed NDAs or non-disclosure acts that if they broke those acts in terms of coming forward, then they could, there, there could be some retribution legally and, 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 and possibly financially uh, against them. But it was detailed in terms of what the Washington Post talked about. Um, and I tell you what, boy, if, if the Washington Post is saying something, uh, let's go back to uh, let's go back to the to Watergate in 1972. When the Washington Post comes out and, and, and comes out with something, uh, you can pretty much bet that it's 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 pretty true. Um, and the, the post is going to have all of its facts. I read that entire article. It was very well done. It was very well detailed. I'm very disappointed in the Washington Redskins. Um, Daniel Schneider, for all intensive purposes, absolved from any direct wrongdoing. But if you're the owner of the Washington Redskins, you have to also be accountable. You got to know what's going on in the building. I mean, at the end of the day, you got to know what's happening within your organization. You are the leader. Uh, also, Bruce Allen, for the most part, the former uh, general manager, also absolved. But again, in some of the details, some of the sexual harassment taking place within 30 feet of where he was sitting in the 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 in not in his office, but near his office. Like, how do you know? Don't know or not know that these things are going on. Even if you, and and sometimes you may not know, you may not know everything that's going on around you. Sometimes you don't know, but I tell you what, you know, if you're really engaged and sometimes you may be really busy, you have other things going on. I get it. You ask questions and how can a lot of other people know? Because in the article, it also talked about how other various staff members, you know, knew about certain things that were going on. Nobody reported anything. Um, there was only, I thought, one of the interesting things, and I guess it shouldn't be that big of a surprise, but the, not, but, uh, the Redskins only had one full-time uh, HR or human resource person. But, I mean, I think if you're working with, I mean, I, the, I don't know if the players count within, I mean, maybe they do, I guess they would. Uh, the, the players' contracts are with the National Football League more so, but even with the staff members and, you know, uh, upper management and trainers and all that. I mean, there are, there were like 200 and some or in excess of 200 staff members. So if you have one HR person, I mean, you, you would expect an organization like the Redskins to have more than one HR person, but I've been in places where you've had, you know, more than 200 staff members and it only had one full-time HR person. I, I was extremely disappointed uh, am disappointed with the Redskins. I'm in, uh, disappointed with what I read. I believe a lot of what I read in that Washington Post article. It was very well detailed, and even some others. I forget the young lady that, that has come out now that used to cover the Redskins for uh, a publication that said that there was a specific one of the the director of scouting uh, had uh, really made sexual advances at her. So it's very disappointing. Um, you know, the Redskins in the, in the news for all the wrong reasons. And it looks like a lot of what, uh, the organization is expecting Daniel Snyder more specifically is that, you know, Ron Rivera to the rescue. He's going to be the one he's putting him out there. 
Um, he, he he's the he's the uh, he's obviously the head coach, but he also has some other responsibilities as well. But I'm going to tell you what: extremely disappointed in what I read about the Redskins. Got to do better, and hopefully it will happen. I know a lot of people want to get rid of, rid of Daniel Snyder. The, the the consensus is if you get rid of Snyder or if Snyder doesn't own the team anymore, then things will be better. I mean, I, I don't fault Snyder. I don't fault Dan Snyder, not not for that particular situation, but in terms of he just he's he's gone about things the wrong way, I think. But if you look at some of the moves he's tried to make, it's it it, it has been to try to make the team Better. I think he's too close to it, having grown up as a fan. So a lot of the decisions he makes is from a fan perspective as opposed to business. Uh, but uh, again, hopefully Ron Rivera is the man that can turn the franchise around. Your thoughts. We're going to get into more of this, hopefully a little bit later on, on the program. Hit us up via Twitter at box to row B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, box the number two R-O-W, you can hit me up and follow me on my personal Twitter account at dware one also on Instagram at Donald. Let's step aside, take a break, come back. We're going to be joined by Carolina Hurricanes head coach Rod Brindamore as you're locked into From the Press Box to Press Row. On last week's From the Press Box to Press Row with Donald Ware. Kara Lawson is the new head women's basketball coach at Duke. I will tell you, in this time in our country, I'm the first black basketball coach at Duke University. It means something a little different now. And I don't know if that's just because of where we are right now in terms of social unrest, but it did mean a little extra to me to, to read that. I was not aware of that. And, uh, that's something that I'm very proud of. And that's something that I hope the black community is very proud of. And uh, certainly Durham, state of North Carolina, and uh, where I'm from uh, in Washington, D.C. From the press box to press row is one of the hottest sports talk shows in the country. Join Donald each week as he takes you on a journey through the world of HBCU sports and pro sports and interviews with top sports and entertainment figures. That's from the press box to press row each week on your favorite station. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. We're back here on From the Press Box to Press Row. And you can join us. Hit us up via Twitter at Box to Row, B O X T O R O W. Give us your thoughts on anything that we talked about in that first segment. Talked about. And, and by the way, I must make a correction. I'm all about names. So the team is no longer the Redskins. And I, like I told you, um, for me, having grown up in the area, been a fan, uh, and being in in sort of the area that I'm in and in, in, in communications and so forth, I'm all about names. So no longer is the name the Redskins. It's the Washington football team. It's the Washington football team. So my mistake in the last segment, calling that team the Redskins. It's the Washington football team. And uh, so we talked about the Washington football team and the report that came out in the Washington Post on last week. Uh, Also talked uh, in that first segment, also talked about the National Football League and the lack of protocols in place 
for the players until more recently. To me, it is arrogance on the part of the National Football League. I want to make uh, one announcement, and, and again, uh, we're going to be joined very momentarily by Rod Brendamore. He is the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes. Had a chance, and uh, big kudos go out to the North Carolina Central Sports Information Office, more specifically Kyle Serba, who is the director of uh, NCCU Sports Information. has been there, wow, since 94. So Kyle's been there 26 years. I've known Kyle for in excess of 20 years. He sent me a release on, wow, I think it was Tuesday he sent me a release, and it stated that uh, John Calipari, the head coach of Kentucky, had endowed a scholarship to North Carolina Central with respect to the John McClendon um, Minority Leadership Initiative. Okay, and so then we were able to reach out and able to get Coach Calipari on Zoom as well as the commissioner of the SIAC, Greg Moore, who was instrumental in getting Coach Cal to endow that scholarship to North Carolina Central. And Coach Cal talked a lot about it. It's a great interview. Um, The interview is on our YouTube page. As a matter of fact, the interview is on our YouTube page. So you can check it out there. You can also check it out um, at my Instagram account, Where Donald, on Instagram Live at Where Donald. You can check it out there uh, as well. If you're a fan of either HBCUs, a supporter of HBCUs, want to know more about HBCUs, want to know more about Coach Cal, want to know more about the SIAC and Commissioner uh, Moore, who I've had a chance to have on this show. I, I hadn't had him on the show maybe in 10-plus years. It was really a great conversation where Coach Cal took a lot of you know, responsibility on himself uh, and talked about what it meant to him to endow this scholarship to North Carolina Central. You, it's a must listen to anyone involved with HBC, not just sports, HBCUs in general. And then really the, really at large, you don't even have to be an HBCU fan to get something out of this. And what Coach Calipari had to say, matter of fact, he said as much as the reason I, he said, the, he said to me, the reason I'm talking to you, the reason I am where I am is because, in essence, is because of black folks. I mean, it's not what he said verbatim, but in essence, that's what he said. He says, hey, I, I go into young men's homes, talk with their parents, and get them to commit to my program. At this time, it's Kentucky. Years past, it's been Memphis or it's been UMass or whatever the case may be. And he talked about that and the responsibility. And he also talked about why has it taken so long to not only for us to get to a place where we are now, where we're nowhere near where we need to be, but we're having the important conversations and things are changing. But he put it on himself. Why didn't I do this sooner? He said that as much. So I invite you again on my Instagram live account at where Donald uh, or, or on our YouTube page, uh, box to row. You can go to uh, uh, Google YouTube and box to row B O X T O R O W. And uh, you can listen to that. I think, which is a, was a phenomenal interview again, uh, coach Calipari uh, as well. 
as the SIAC commissioner, Gregory Moore. Let's continue here on from the press box to press row. We're going to switch gears. We're going to talk some NHL, the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, I tell you what, they are preparing uh, to play for the first time in quite some time as uh, Rangers on Saturday, August the 1st. Prior to that, going to have a tilt with the Washington Capitals uh, on next week. In his second season as the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes is Rod Brindamore, who joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. I I, I am, and we, we appreciate uh, uh, your time as I know you guys try to get prepared. Uh, let me start here. How Your thoughts on how the team was performing prior to the COVID-19. It was like forever ago, but we, we were actually just hitting our stride. I thought, thought we were, uh, you know, we went on a road trip right before the, the, the break there, and we were playing really well. I think we won four or five in a row or three or, you know, four or five. I can't even remember. It's been so long. But we were definitely dialed in and our game was coming to, coming around. But, you know, that's all long gone now. So, so it's a fresh start here. Yeah. Uh, what sort of, for you all, you and your staff, um, uh, you know, prior to now, obviously you guys are back together there in the in the bubble, so to speak. In terms of the communication with, with the players leading up to now your time in uh, in the bubble, sort of how how was that and trying to kind of keep them engaged in getting this restart going again? Well, it was tricky in, in some regards. I think we were pretty, I don't want to say better prepared, but we, we knew um, or we felt anyway when the pause happened, it wasn't going to be a short time. So we kind of prepared, basically prepared that as our off season, told the players that, like, you know, and, and so, you know, they usually get two to three months off. So that's kind of what happened. So instead of kind of every day talking to them and getting, you know, we kind of just let them go. We, our strength coach was in communication with them. And, you know, the key there was just trying to stay in the best shape you could and, I think the guys, for the most part, did a pretty good job because when they came back, you know, what has it been, 10 days ago or whatever, everybody was ready to go. So, um, you know, they did a nice job staying committed to themselves as far as staying in shape, but now it's just a matter of putting all the pieces together. In the in sort of the lead-up game exhibition, if you, if you want to call it that, against in, uh, in excess of four months for you all, what are you going to be looking for from your team in that game? Well, you know, it's 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 actually probably the most important preseason game that we'll ever played because generally preseason games in, in hockey are just, you know, you have lineups that are, you know, you got two guys from the minors, you got, you know, and the game counts for nothing, obviously, but it's just a matter of, it's more you're assessing talent and just slowly trying to get your game together. You got an 80, you know, games coming up that count. So now all of a sudden this game takes on a lot more meaning just because we've got to see where guys are. Um, you know, we can practice here all we want, which we've been doing. It's just now, you know, we got some decisions to make. You know, when you got to play the best guys now. It's not, you know, that are the best guys now. They may not necessarily be the best players, but they're the guys that are, their game's ready to go. I mean, we, you know, that's that's what you have to go with because you're starting into the playoffs right away. Yeah. Being in that sort of bubble environment and the preparations in terms of getting you ready, not only for – the uh, preseason, if you will, exhibition game against the Capitals, uh, but also uh, for your series, if you will, uh, against the Rangers. What sort of has that been like? Yeah, that's the, the probably the most important part is 
and you know the players and myself when we just get to show up here and basically keep doing what we've been doing but it's the behind the scenes stuff the you know trying to get everything organized and all the testing and all the just the logistics of this thing is really mind-boggling and so there's a lot of people behind the scenes that doing a lot a lot of heavy lifting just to make this happen and um you know starting with the medical professionals obviously uh, and then going along to just management on the organizational side of things so it's been it's been a real lot of you know tough work from a lot of people and you know from our end it's just hockey you know we're just we're just trying to get like i said get prepared to go and play a game but the there's a lot of other people around that have done and sacrificed a lot even to even be thinking about this. Yeah, I man, I guess it's, is it more like anything else? You, you know, it may it's different. It's different than what you're used to. But as it becomes a routine, you, you sort of get used to it. Yeah, it's I mean, the, the most interesting part of the, the day is once you get to like the rink and on the ice, the actual practice, you know, that feels as normal as ever. That's about the, the most normal part of the last four months. Um, and then the minute you come off the ice, you know, and then you start, you know, you have to wear your mask and you do this. Stuff, all of a sudden it hits you again that things are a little different. But we've, you've kind of gotten used to the routine, as you say. And, um, you know, we the, the screening before you get into the locker room, the temperature checks, the, all the stuff that, you know, the testing after practice, it's uh, – it's just become normal, and and, and so it's not that, that uh, different now that you've kind of gotten used to it. That the voice of Rod Brindamore in his second season as the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Andre Shreznikov, he wins the, the Ch- Chiasin Award, uh, the youngest in Kane's history to do so. He's only 20 years old. He's got 61 points on the season, and I get it. I mean, you're right. It's been four months since he's played, but, you know, what does it mean – uh, in terms of him winning that award at such a young age, and how is he sort of progressing uh, as we, as you guys look forward uh, to taking on the Rangers on August first? Well, first of all, you know, to win an award that the players vote on is always special, and uh, you know that that says a lot about the individual who gets it, because all, all his buddies that see him every day, that understand what he's all about, they're the ones that vote on this stuff. So. Um, you know, and, and it's uh, that I think those are the kind of awards that really mean a lot. You know, because there's no there's no hiding it. You, you win an award like that, his buddies, his teammates are the ones that put him up on it. And generally, that award is someone that's been around a little longer. But that's again just speaks volumes of what kind of kid he is. It's a it's a kind of all encompassing award: leadership, hard work, character. And this kid's kind of covering all the bases. So. You're not gonna. You find it hard to find anyone say anything bad about this kid, and you know I think he's just scratching the surface of what he's going to become in this league. So pretty, pretty excited to obviously to have him on our group. You gotta really like. You had a really. I want to talk, and we will a little bit later. Uh, talk about last season because that was absolutely amazing. But like I look up and down this roster, you got some really good young talent and you know you even got a Justin Williams in there we'll talk about him um as well how excited are you uh for this team and in terms of really getting back into this thing again you were on a nice streak prior to uh but but what are your thoughts in terms of how maybe special this team can be uh moving forward yeah I mean you said it I mean we've got a couple older players um you know Justin Williams is obviously 
He was a teammate of yours, Rod. Yes, he must be. He's a teammate of yours. That's right. So he's, he's, you know, the old guy, but uh, then it drops right down, you know, like Jordan Stahl is the next one and he's just, you know, I think young 30s. So, and then there's a big drop after that. So we're, we're, we're a young group that definitely got some exciting players. You mentioned Sveshnikov 20 and, you know, Ahu's our other, you know, leader of the pack there. And I don't, I think he's in low twenties, you know, 22, 23, right. and net cash is 21. And, and then, you know, we got some guys on the blue line that are, are right in there, you, you know, young, young years as well. So we're definitely in, in a good spot. Um, but the key is, you know, got to keep, stay healthy and, and hopefully we can do that. Were you seeing some similarities uh, to with this year's team prior, of course, to, to COVID, uh, to last year's team, it seemed like you guys sort of got off to a you know a bit of a slower start, made that run, and then made a great run to the Stanley Eastern Conference Finals. Are you seeing sort of some similarities between the two teams? Um, well, yeah, I mean it, it. It is the same team essentially, so there should be similarities. And um, the, the way the year went last year was interesting because we played really, really well uh, the first half of the year. We just didn't get any wins. It was just weird, and then it. It just started, you know, we didn't play any differently. We just, we got what we deserved, in my opinion. And that's what happened. We, second half of the season, I think we ended up second or third best team in the league. So we, we were definitely dialed in. And then this year, we, we're pretty good shape. It's just, we're playing in a tough division. You know, you say, oh, you're sixth in the division, but I think we were ninth or tenth overall in the league with in, in terms of a winning percentage. So we're, we're, we're doing okay. It's just you know, it's we got a tough division. Everyone's good in our division, and that that makes it a little tougher. But I like this group a lot. Um, you know, they come they come to work every day, so that's that's all you can ask. Rod Brendan Moore in his second season as the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes joins us here on the program. A couple of more thoughts, Rod. We appreciate uh, the time uh, with you. I last year, like what a run that was a you know you you again as mentioned started slow then got on a bit of a run seemed like maybe around February and kept riding it and riding it and riding it with a young team. Some veterans sprinkled in all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. Speak to last year. That was your first year. And again, it was a rocky start, but it ended very, it at least ended very well for you guys. Well, yeah. I mean, it was it was positive considering where we had come from as an organization where, you know, I think it was nine or ten years where we just, we didn't, even you know make it to the playoffs so that this was just an exciting time to make it in and then you know having to win a couple of rounds was special obviously you know you knock off the Stanley Cup champs that that was a special you know time in the way we did it so I think you know it was a positive year but at the end of the day there's one winner and that's you know we, we that wasn't us so we definitely went back to the drawing board and we're you know I think we're we're one of those teams that's you know, if we were to win it all, you wouldn't say, well, that was shocking. But, uh, you know, it, it's so hard to do. So we, we know that uh, we got to make it in first. And technically, we got to beat the Rangers here to, to have a chance at playing for the Stanley Cup. And, you know, that's our goal. Yeah. What does it mean to have the old man back, Justin Williams, that prior to the season, he announced he, he wasn't coming back, then ultimately came back uh, in January and has made an impact on this team? Yeah, wow. You know, Willie's the best. And and first of all, he I mean, he announced that he wasn't coming back to start, but he was always planning on coming back at the halfway mark or thereabouts. So that was something we'd already we all knew. Um, 
you know, he just didn't have it in him to play 82 games and can understand that. So, um, you know, we got him back at the end and then unfortunately, obviously we had to stop, but he's, he looks great. He's motivated. I don't know uh, anyone that's probably more motivated than him. If, if this is his last go, he certainly wants to, to do it right. And then lastly for you, being the head coach now of the Hurricanes again in your second season, the only Stanley Cup uh, win was back in 2006. Uh, what, take us back to that time. It was a great time here in Raleigh when the Hurricanes in mm-hmm. really in, in you know, what, maybe maybe six, seven years here in Raleigh win a Stanley Cup? Yeah, that was a good, that was a good uh, obviously a great team. Totally different than what we have now. That was a veteran team. You know, a lot of guys on their last legs that hadn't won, and so the motivation was there. And you saw it in how we played. And I think a uh, great time, like you said, for the community. I mean, it really, you know, our team really can bring the community together around here, and that, that's that's our goal right now. We I mean, this is everyone's having some obviously tough times right now, and you know, if our if we can get on a run and just bring some joy to people around here, it'd be great because we we seem to bring the community together like no team. I think you got. You know, it's a great college town, but everyone's got their favorite, and you know we're the only pro team in town, so everyone can kind of root for us. So, we're we're that's our mission. You know, bring some joy to people, and you know, make them proud of our group. Ron Brindamore, two years in as the head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes. Hurricanes going to open the season August first in Toronto against the New York Rangers. Rod, we appreciate the time. Uh, continued success to you and the Hurricanes. All right, thanks for having me. Have a good day. You as well, Rod, and good luck. Up next here on From the Press Box to Press Row, we're going to be joined by former UFC champion, D.C., Daniel Cormier. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. That is the voice of Kevin Durant. I'm excited I get to play for them. They support us in everything we do. You know, it's a joy to you know, go to work and, and know that you're going to be, uh, you know, they're going to cheer for you as loud as they can no matter who you're playing. I'm talking about none other than Serena Williams. That was definitely one of the better matches I've ever played. I've had it just like that. You know, I was really focused, just really, you know, excited. He's Chadwick Bozeman, and he joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Road. You are, in fact, a graduate. What do you remember most about your days at Howard? Howard is like one of those experiences where <laughs> you know it's a it's a bubble. You know it's a it's a special moment. Like I had some great teachers. Felicia Rashad was one of my teachers. You know, I just remember being nurtured to respect black writers, black directors, black actors, as well as the classics. So you got the full scope of what you should experience, and I think that's unique to Howard. I just love the fact that they respected the full scope of it. Kiki Palmer joining us here on the program. I've grown in a lot of different ways. I think I've definitely grown as far as my age progression, and that shows that I've literally grown, I guess, on screen, and people have seen me from, you know, a young kid to coming of age into an adult, and I feel like slowly but surely they're not taking that Akila memory out their head, but realizing Akila also has, you know, has grown up. I don't ever want to be typecasted as just the sweet hosting girl. That is the voice of Steph Curry. Your progress from David into now with Golden State. Where I've come from in high school into a small D1 college at Davidson. Uh, it's a great story and uh, I'm just having fun, you know, living my dream and riding the ride. That's the voice, of course, of T.I. It's some hard times down in the ATL, though, T.I. Yeah, and that is understood. It wouldn't be the first. <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't be the first nor the worst. But, you know, you got to stay down with the home team, you know. No, nah, no question. I'm, I'm still I'm still down with the skins, man. What can I say? They're, they're not doing too well right now. 
Well, like <laughs> you know what I mean. We gotta, hey, 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 look, man, we gotta, we gotta hold it down so we can, so we can get it back right again. <laughs> that is the voice of Maria Taylor, ESPN college sports analyst. College Game Day is a show that I grew up watching, a, a show that I've always loved. I knew that when I was uh, able to join, I was more than excited. I found out the same week as I turned thirty. And it's just something that I never dreamed I would be a part of, but something that I'm so thankful to have under my belt have done for an entire season. It's, there's nothing like it, honestly. Hello, I'm Josh Stone, and I'm here chatting to Donald on Thunder Press Box to Press Roll. Kimber Walker. There's a lot more poise now. You know, um, the game is slowed down, so you know, I kind of know what to expect. You know, I've been watching a lot of film on our offense and, you know, what plays I can make. You know, I'm just trying to make the best plays possible. When I draw a second defender to me, um, I know my job is done. I'm just trying my best to find the open guy. You know, the difference is guys are making shots. That's been the biggest difference. I'm talking about none other than Common. Well, I ended up in Sam just because I wanted to major in business. And Sam, you had the illustrious school of business. And, I mean, I played high school basketball, but... At one point, my career kind of rounded off because I got injured and I wasn't getting as much playing time, so I became impatient. I went to school first, starting off with general studies, then I found out that business was the key. That's what I wanted to do. I got into the school of business, and it was definitely a great learning experience for me. She's regarded as the best gymnast in the world. She's Simone Biles, the ESPN Swimsuit Edition. Actually, really fun. Like, to be honest, me and Ali had a lot of fun. We were like, oh, of course, I'd run the best shape of our lives. We're feeling confident about our body and we hope that other young girls and women might feel that being strong is so beautiful. So that's what we kind of try to do. Mine was just like beauty, but also showing muscles. Like I feel like when little girls look at that, they'll think it's okay to have muscles and be beautiful and like sexy at the same time in a good manner. And I think that's what we got across, hopefully. It was great. Greatest football player to ever play, Jim Brown. Muhammad Ali was a principal person in the country at the time, and he stood up and said that he was not going to the service because he was against his religion. Mm-hmm. Called all the top black athletes together, along with Carl Stoke, the first black mayor of a major city. So I'm glad you brought that particular incident up. Snoop Dogg is on the mic. Pay attention. Oh, man, thank you for having me, play in a real way. I mean, I'm so honored. Snoop, you football league has done so many wonders. We got over 200 kids that have graduated from high school. We have over 50 kids that have grown to Division One. WWE champion Alexa Bliss. How does one go from being a cheerleader as you were at the Division One level at Akron to being the WWE champion? <laughs> well, uh, after I cheered in Akron, my uh, trainer had told me that WWE was having a tryout, so and they knew I was a fan. So I went online and I submitted a video to WWE.com. Um, I didn't think anything would come of it, but then I was called and given a tryout. And then after I tried out, I was signed to NXT, and it just kind of became a roller coaster from there. So we're joined by the one and only Jerry Rice. What do you remember most about those days at Mississippi Valley State? What is going on at Mississippi Valley State? University. <laughs> Why are these guys putting up unbelievable numbers? And that brought awareness to the school. And after that, I got drafted to the San Francisco 49ers. Hey, everybody, what's going on? This is Anthony Anderson, international movie star and funny mother. <laughs> and you're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. From the Press Box to Press Row is the sports talk show that is the voice and the talk of HBCU sports with a flair for pro sports talk and entertainment. Check the show out online at www.boxtorow.com. That's From the Press Box to Press Row. Real. Relevant. Radio.
Track down the names making news in sports from the press box to press row. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Let's continue here on from the press box to press row. UFC 252 taking place August 15th in Las Vegas between Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic. On the line, we're joined by the former light heavyweight and heavyweight champion, one of the best to ever do it. He is DC. Daniel Cormier joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. DC, welcome to the program. Oh, man, what's going on? Thank you guys for having me. Absolutely. It is a pleasure to, in fact, have you. I want to start here. What's the preparation been like for the fight against Mayachik as we're three weeks away from the fight? It's been insane. It's been insane. It's been tough. It's been grueling. It's been long. It's been very, very long. We uh, we started very early this time because we didn't have as much time in the last fight. So, uh, yeah, it's been very long. It's been grueling. It's like you're in those dirty, those long days, right? You know, they call them the dog days of summer. This is the dog days of mini camp. It feels like it's just been long and, and grueling. This will end up being about a 13-week training camp by the time I'm done. And um, I'm happy about it. I'm happy about the work that we put in, and uh, I'm happy about the, the the product that we're going to show when we step inside the octagon. Yeah, what what's a what's the length of a typical training camp uh, for a fight for you? Eight weeks, eight weeks. But you know, it had been it had been a while since uh, we had a we. It's been a while since I fought, and because of that, I I, I wanted to make sure that I was prepared, and I think that. Uh, the best way to do that was by putting in a little bit more time, uh, giving myself a chance to get prepared. I always say that you start early so that you prepare yourself to get prepared because a lot of injuries come from when you try to just go into training camp. So I took four weeks to prep myself to get prepared for a fight. And and because of that, I feel good about um, – how the camp has gone, and also my ability to stay healthy over the course of this training camp. No, I think it's interesting. Has has COVID uh, nineteen changed um, maybe sort of the way you've you know trained or prepared and whatnot? It makes it more scary for sure. It makes it more scary. You know, you're not as open with uh, people coming to your training situation. It's much more difficult to be as open and welcoming as you normally are because of the COVID, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough thing to deal with. You're navigating a whole different level of preparation because uh, everything that you normally do isn't just as easy to do because of the complications of this virus. Yeah. And, and you're getting back to something you said in terms of the time in between fights, because to the point you fought three times in 2018, the one time against, Myachik the second time uh, last year, August the, the 17th. Why, why the, um, such the time uh, really in between fights from the last fight and then uh, going back even mm-hmm. to 2018, you fought on November 3rd of 18 and then not till August 17th of 2019. Well, well, so one of the bigger things about the second fight with Stipe and I was that I just had, I, after I fought Derek Lewis in Madison Square Garden, I had back surgery, and when I had back surgery, um, it took it takes time to recover, you know. And I I, I messed my back up sneezing. Oh wow! Is <laughs> I that right? I sneezed on the morning. 
I, I sneezed on the morning of the fight, and I thought that that sneeze was going to cost me the fight. Whoa. But uh, luckily, the UFC and, and their staff of, of trainers and physicians were able to get me able to go that night. But about a month later, I was training, and, and uh, the old back went out again, and, and I had a bulging disc that was sitting on my sciatic nerve. So I had to go to the doctor, and and they uh, they had to go go in and shave that disc and get me back healthy. And it took me a long time to recover. And honestly, I still needed more time. I wasn't fully healthy going into the second fight. So I'm so happy about being healthy this time. DC, Daniel Cormier, one of the best to ever do it, former light heavyweight and heavyweight champion in UFC, joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row UFC 252 coming up August 15th. In Las Vegas, D.C. taking on Stipe Majacic. Uh Take us through a, a, about a year ago and what happened in the second fight a year ago against Majacic. You know, Stipe did a good job of, 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 of preparing, coming in ready to fight. I mean, the guy was, was so ready. And the fight didn't start as, as planned to him, you know. He was not looking at the fight to start in the way that it did. I was, I was fighting really well and he kind of stayed the course, stayed in the game. He was able to withstand a lot of damage, but by withstanding that damage, he was able to take it, stay in the fight and then won the fight. You know, I was winning the fight and he, he made some great adjustments going into the fourth round. And by making those adjustments, he found a, a, a hole in my game and was able to exploit that hole and win the fight. So, it was a very big performance by Stipe. Um, it's something he should be very proud of, but I don't feel like on that night that I showed my best self. And and then the first one was it was a great battle, one in which you won uh, ultimately mm-hmm. uh, with a with a big time uh, big time win there. Yeah, huge knockout in the first fight, you know. But that's the thing about the UFC, right? The UFC is built on rivalries, and this Miocic rivalry that I have. Uh, this will be the, the fight that determines who is the greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. You know, so this is a big, big moment uh, for Stipe and I. You know, both of us have so much riding on this fight in terms of our legacy that it, it, I think about it every night. You know, I mean, I'm, I think I was born to train with, to compete with anxiety. And that's the anxiety I deal with every single night because when I go to bed, I lay in my bed and I think about the first fight and I think about the second fight and I think about what, if anything, I could do to ensure that the third fight goes the way that I need it to. Yeah, no question about it. DC Daniel Cormier joins us here on the program. From a historic standpoint, what did it mean to you to hold both the light heavyweight and heavyweight championships at the same time? Oh, it means it meant everything. You know, and when I won that belt, I was only the second guy to have ever had both belts at the same time was me and Conor McGregor. So uh, to become the set, only the second double champion in UFC history, the first to ever win both belts and defend both belts was, uh, was a massive accomplishment, you know, and a career filled with accomplishments. I've done a lot of things over the course of my 10-year uh, MMA career, and I will never forget the night that I got to stand atop the octagon or sit atop the octagon with a belt wrapped around my waist and a belt over my head. It, it's one of the proudest moments I've ever, I've ever had. You know, I've, I've done some things in my life. I've won uh, national championships and I've made Olympic teams, but 
that moment will always stand out above all because it was uh it was so big for me and my family yeah that was huge and let me take you back um a little bit also a little bit further how about the that win over barnett in the uh the strike force heavyweight grand prix uh, grand prix mm-hmm. back in 2012 that was you know that was really huge for you uh, it helped to really propel your career it was massive it was my moment to announce to the mixed martial arts world that i was going to be a factor you know josh barnett was a former ufc champion and i went through that tournament that had all these great heavy, great heavyweights at the time fedor emilianenko alistair overeem fabricio verdum Josh Barnett, Bigfoot Silva, they were all top 10 heavyweights at the time. And I was just this young prospect that hadn't beaten anybody yet. And uh, I was able to navigate my way through that tough tournament and win it. It was, it was, it was something no one had expected. So, yeah, that was, a, that, was a, that was a big moment. That was the moment I realized that I can compete with anyone. Yeah. Uh, so now, so this fight, the, the trilogy uh, uh, against Mayachik, this is it for you. You're, you're retiring after this. Yeah, this is a wrap. This is it for me. You know, like, we all get, I'm getting an opportunity to do something so special in fighting. I get a chance to fight for the heavyweight championship of the world in my last fight. If I win, and when I win, you get to walk away on top. Only George St. Pierre has been able to do that. People don't get to have that opportunity, much less win and go out with the championship belt wrapped around their waist. I get that, and I plan on getting it done, and, and um, I'm happy with my career. And I feel like I can be very comfortable uh, with walking away um, after this fight, regardless of the uh, the outcome. Regardless, even if you l- lose, we don't anticipate that. But if there's like a no contest no. or something, you're not coming back at all. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. No contests don't happen very often. Yeah, or so yeah. I would hope it's not a no contest. We want some closure to this thing. Yeah, but um, yeah, I feel confident with what my career has been. Um. I feel I feel comfortable with uh, what my career has been, and uh, you know this is it on August you know fifteenth. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Last two thoughts. Uh, yeah, I you know I I mean I'm, I don't watch UFC a, a whole lot. I gotta be honest, but when when I did watch and I saw you, I'm like you're really this broadcasting thing. <laughs> you enjoying it, right? Yeah, you enjoying that, right? Know? I do. I love it. I love. I love calling the fights. I love being in the action. You know, a lot of times when, when athletes walk away from their, their chosen sport, they're kind of away from everything. I feel like being next to the octagon, calling the fight, still keeps you a part of the show. You know, so we've been doing this for long that calling the fights allows me to stay so close to the sport that I've fallen in love with. Last thought. Um so I noticed you, you, you're doing some other things. You're on social media and so forth. So you, are you a big NBA fan also? I, I believe you are. I'm a massive NBA yeah. fan. Massive NBA fan. I watch a – I am constantly – I have been totally entrenched with the bubble. I watch everything about the bubble. I'm watching uh, the Tybalt's kid uh, vlogs. I'm watching JaVale McGee's vlogs. I'm watching everything, man. I'm just in love with uh, – this whole thing is so intriguing to me. And yesterday, to be able to watch the first games, was uh, they were different, but it was cool to see. Yeah. D.C., Daniel Cormier, and Stipe Miocic. 
Going to get together in UFC 252 in Las Vegas on August 15th as we are joined by one of the greatest to ever do DC, Daniel Cormier, joining us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. DC, really appreciate the time. We look forward to the fight on August 15th and continued success in all you do. Thank you, man. I appreciate it so much. Have a great day. Appreciate you, Daniel. A quick break, and then we're back to wrap things up. Box to Row.com is the website for all of your HBCU sports needs. From the game of the week feature to interviews to the latest news in the world of HBCU sports. Box to Row.com has you covered. Missed a week of From the Press Box to Press Row? Box to Row.com has all the archive shows. Don't forget to check out the All American teams and weekly media coaches' bowls. From the Press Box to Press Row. And Box to Row.com. Your HBCU sports leader. It's Donald Ware from the press box to press row. Would like to hear from some Washington football team fans your thoughts as the Washington football team, again, proper name, makes the transition from Redskins to now. Currently, the name is Washington football team to whatever the next name is going to be. Hit me up via Twitter at box to row, B O X T O R O W, or on Facebook, B O X. The number two R-O-W, as I mentioned last week for one, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a little bit sad about it again. It's, it's the name that I knew uh, all of my life, particularly growing up in the Washington area. At the end of the day, I'm still going to cheer for the Washington football team, no matter the name. Uh, so, you know, I've gotten past sort of that part of it in terms of, you know, feeling a certain kind of way about it and, Moving on, I'm just looking, you know, and we'll see if there's a football season. I mean, if there is, I mean, I'm going to be front and center. I'm all, I am all about the Washington football team. Uh, we're going to get ready to run here on From the Press Box to Press Row again. Don't forget on our social media channels, on our YouTube page, etc. important conversation uh, had that I had with John Calipari and SIAC Commissioner Greg Moore talked. I mean, we, it was just a great conversation. Again, you can find that on our social media channels, Instagram at box to row Twitter at box to row on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. Thank you to D.C. Daniel Cormier for joining us on the program, as well as Hurricanes head coach, Rod Brindamore for joining us on the program as well. For more information on From the Press Box to Press Row, you can log on to our website at BoxToRow.com. We have temporarily suspended our HBCU football daily podcast in light of the fact that all of the schools have suspended uh, football football for the fall. But you can log on to our website, BoxToRow.com. Our podcasts go back all the way to 2017, so it's your opportunity to catch up and always remember to support those that support you from the press box to press row is presented by dw communications let it rain help me somebody say it tonight open up